Good morning. My name is Derek, and it's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here at Faith Church, and um, we're going to get into God's Word together here in just a moment. Uh, The question that I have for you as we get going is, how well do you love people? How well do I love people? How, um, How does the way that we love... How does the way that you love compare with the way God loves? The Bible says, Psalm 103, I'll be on the screen here. Psalm 103 tells us about God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. What about this? How do you react to people being mean to you? How do you react to people doing their own thing and going against you? How do you react to wicked that you see in the world, wickedness that you see in the world, rebellion that you see in the world? And borrowing someone else's words, I like this phrase put yourself in these shoes. What if someone comes to you and dumps in your lap the wreckage of their life? How does that feel to absorb? How how prepared are we to respond? Left to our own human nature and devices, how might we respond? I'm not uh I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not asking these questions to have us feel badly or guilty. I'm getting us to think about how similar we are to God, or should I say how similar or how dissimilar we are to the greatness of God. Um, So uh, grab your Bibles. We're going to open to Isaiah 53 in a moment. We're in a series of messages uh, called The Heart of Christ, and... uh, We have just been asking God to show us through various scripture passages in God's word what Jesus is like at his core, what is his heart. And as a supplement to this series, we've actually been giving away free books. Many of you already have it. Dane Ortland wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. There's copies in the lobby. If you haven't already taken one, take one. If your family actually needs two, take two, even though the sign only says take one. You have my permission. And so as a supplement to our Heart of Christ series, we've been encouraging if you wanted to track along in this book, Gentle and Lowly, and and the reason I'm bringing that up now is because of this, that that Dane Ortland in that book suggests this, that too often, uh, perhaps too often, we take our ideas about who God is and we put them on him. Throughout the book, really, he's challenging us to consider are, 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 is our understanding of God based on our understanding of ourselves or fellow humans? Are, 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 are we too often taking our ideas about what God is, who God is, what he should be like, and then putting them on him rather than, rather than lifting our eyes to God, going to his word, seeking his heart, hearing from him, and discovering what he is really like. 
That's why I think uh, Ortland wrote this book, is to kind of challenge our perceptions of God and make sure that we're, we're not putting on him what, is our, what we're, we are manufacturing, but rather discovering who God is and what he's all about by going to his word. What if, um, what if our view of God, what if our perception of God, what if our understanding of who he is and what he's all about is lessened, is marred, because we expect him to respond the way we would? Is our view of God lessened or marred because we expect him to react and respond to the things of life and sin and difficulty and rebellion and hardship? Do we expect him to re- re- respond like we might or like people in our lives respond to us? So I jumped ahead and mentioned it already. Now I want you to grab your Bibles and open to Isaiah 53. <clears throat> if you're looking in your Bible to find Isaiah, don't be shy to use your table of contents Sometimes I do. If you look at the big book, right in the center of your Bible is a big book called Psalms. Flip through the middle of your Bible, find Psalms, and then take a right about three or four books, and you'll find Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God that wrote before the time of Christ. So I want you to be in Isaiah 53 with us here in your Bible on your lap or on your device in your Bible app. And... uh, And let's see what God has in store for us today as we ask him to show us about his heart. So Isaiah 53, I'm going to start reading in verse 5. This is several hundred years before Jesus' earthly life and ministry. Several hundred years before Jesus' earthly life and ministry, the prophet Isaiah writes this in Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the prophet, the prophet Isaiah foreseeing and prophesying about the servant of the Lord, the coming Messiah, the promised rescuer. And if you move down there to verse 12, maybe halfway through verse 12, I'll pick it up here. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Several hundred years later, this prophecy is, of course, fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. This promised rescuer, this coming Messiah, this servant of the Lord that Isaiah speaks of and describes is fulfilled in in the life of Jesus, the Son of God come to be with us, sent by God the Father into the world to seek and save the lost, to bring light into darkness, to bring people out of death and into real life. The gospel is the spectacular news that God rescues sinners like you and I through the life, death, and resurrection. The gospel is the spectacular news that God doesn't leave us where we are in our rebellion and sin, 
but pursues us and comes after us. And because of Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross, and his victorious resurrection from the dead, because of that, you and I can have life too. Life now and life forever. Romans 5.8 tells us about God's love for us. Romans 5.8 reminds us that God demonstrated how much he loved us in this, that while we were yet sinners, God loved us so much, he demonstrated how much he loves us by saying, while you were still in sin, Christ died for you. And that demonstration of God's love is just as evident in our Old Testament passage this morning in Isaiah Look with me now to chapter 54. If you're still, hopefully you have your fingers still in God's word there. Turn now to Isaiah 54, verse 10. I'm about halfway through verse 10. Isaiah 54, verse 10. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Now look to the beginning of chapter 55. Chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Move with me down to verse 6. 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. I liked this note from my study Bible about the uh, chapter 55, verse 1. It says, come everyone who thirsts. And the note in my study Bible said, thirst is not a problem, but an opportunity. Come, everyone who thirsts. Thirst is not a problem. Spiritual need, desire to know God is not a problem. It's an opportunity to quench that thirst. This is a universal need. This is, this is universally true across humanity. There is a deep need to know God and be known by him. And, and as you look at Verse 6, time is of the essence. Don't delay and miss the opportunity. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God loves and pursues and has provided a way of rescue through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Don't delay. This offer is for all who call on the name of Christ. God is calling you to himself. As we look at verses 6 and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found. God is calling to you. He's calling to me. He's inviting us to repent and turn to him. He invites the wicked to forsake his way, to give up going his own way, to turn away from sin and turn to God. This passage is urging us a couple things, right? As we've looked at these verses, a couple things. Seek the Lord. And number two, you know, forsake the wicked, the evil, the rebellious, those that are going against God, those that are in sin. Forsake your way. Give it up. Give up going your own way. Repent and turn to God. 
And here's where, here's where we start to tie some of our thoughts from earlier together. As the passage then continues, and those that are in rebellion, those that are wicked, are invited to come and, and have their thirst quenched, and as, as we are invited to forsake the way of rebellion, as the passage continues, how will God respond? What is going to be God's response? And maybe the key question for us today is to ask ourselves, does he respond like you and I would? Met, met with the, the disaster of someone's life dumped in your lap. Dumped, you know, in the face of, of their rebellion and wickedness and knowing what they've been done and knowing how they've gone against you. Is our expectation that God would respond as we would, perhaps, if we're not, if we're not careful and in our flesh and in our humanity, perhaps we would respond with disgust and holding people at arm's length and being appalled by their behavior and wanting no part of that, or perhaps thinking you're not worth it to me, perhaps being too busy to help. And the challenge is whether we've put that on God or whether that's true of his heart. The passage continues. We want to know how God will respond. Verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And what is God's response? Verse 7 continues, Let him return to the Lord, that the Lord may have compassion on him. And let him return to our God, for our God will abundantly pardon. As we've studied the heart of Christ, the heart of God, not only in this passage today, but in, in recent weeks, would you say that we've heard the word compassion a few times? At the very heart of the creator God, almighty God, king of the universe, at the very heart of his son sent into the world to seek and save the lost, repeatedly we look to God's word and we ask him to show us what is the heart of Christ. And I would say repeatedly we've seen this word. Let him return to the Lord that, he may have, that the Lord may have compassion on him. And let the wicked return to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And let's continue now into verse 8. And here's where, for those that have read your Bibles, for those of you who've been in Christian circles a bit, these may be familiar verses, and we want to ask God to help us consider them this morning. End of verse 7 finishes by saying, Return to the Lord so the Lord can have compassion. Return to God so that God can, give, can pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How many of you have heard that expression before, God's ways are not our ways? How many of you have spoken that expression to someone at some time or the other? I think there's lots of ways that we can consider this phrase, God's ways are not our ways. You know, certainly in the context of the passage, we might see, well, 
man, we got to get rid of our sinful thoughts, our sinful ways, our rebellious ways, our wicked ways, and we've got to turn and recognize that God's ways are higher, nobler, better, greater. True. I think another way that we sometimes consider that phrase, God's ways are higher than ours, or God's ways are not our ways, I think another way that we think about that often is in regard to our circumstances. I think we oftentimes look at our life and the things that are happening to us or the ups and downs that we're going through or we, or we look to the circumstances of someone we know and we think, we, think and we, we think about what's happening and what's not happening to them and what we think should be happening in our life or in their life and how that does or does not compare to what is really happening. And sometimes in those situations we say, God's ways are not our ways. True and taught various places in Scripture and so while, these, while those couple of ways of thinking about that phrase are true, uh, in Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland challenges us with this, points, us out, points this out, that in the immediate context of the Isaiah passage, if we, wanna, if we look at, at, this, at this phrase, God's ways are not our ways, in the context, right in the passage, right in the midst of what God is talking about in Isaiah 55, Ortland points out that, that the emphasis seems to be on God's compassion and on how he relays that compassion and, and, and how he responds to our failures and to our shortcomings and to our rebellion. So where have we been in this passage? Come to the waters, you that are thirsty and in need of God. Not just once back when, but every day, those that are thirsty and in need of God. Thirst is not a problem, it's an opportunity to come to the living waters. Where have we been in our passage? Our passage urged us to seek God, to turn from our wicked ways and seek the Lord. And then our passage has encouraged us about God's response. God's response is not like ours. It says he will demonstrate compassion. He will abundantly pardon. And then the passage gives the why. Why does God respond with compassion? Why does God respond with abundant pardon? Because his ways are not our ways. Because he doesn't respond to us the way we would respond to us. He offers compassion and abundant pardon, abundant forgiveness. Why would God do that? Because his ways are not our ways, because he doesn't respond to us the way other humans in our life respond to us. Perhaps our view of our great God has been cheapened, lessened, Perhaps our understanding of who God is and what he's all about has been marred because we've put on him what our expectations of who God should, is and what he should do. Perhaps our view of God and his greatness, perhaps our understanding of who he is and what he's done is, is cheapened, lessened, marred because we expect him to respond the way we would or the way people do to us. But his ways are higher. He is, he is totally other than us. So we need not put our human experiences 
on God. We, not, we need not take the way we've interacted with people or the way people have interacted with us. We need not take those experiences and attitudes and put them on God. We need to get rid of, of the expectations we have of God that, that, are, that are coming from our own human experience. We need to get rid of our expectations that we have of who God is and the way he should act and what he should do. We need to get rid of any of those expectations that are based in what we would do and recognize that his ways are not our ways, that he is so high above as far as the heaven is above the earth. And, and we need, as we get rid of those expectations, then instead we, as the passage invites us, seek the Lord. Go to him. Go to his word daily. Not just a couple of verses daily. Read his word. See and hear who God is, what he's done, and what his heart is for you. Go to him, seek his face, discover what he is really like. We did that last week. We did that last Sunday as well. And last Sunday took us to Exodus 34, verse 6. God's own indication of his heart when asked about his glory, when asked about God's goodness, his description of himself was the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then several hundred years after Isaiah's prophecy, several hundred years after Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus arrived, the promised rescuer in the flesh, the God-man, fully God and fully human, the Son of God, came to live among us. This is what we're celebrating for the next several weeks, right, as we look forward to Christmas, that God became a man, that God... His ministry was incarnational to live amongst us, to show us the way to God and to to provide a way for salvation. So several hundred, we, we hear the heart of God in Exodus. We hear the heart of God in our Isaiah 55 passage. And then several hundred years after Isaiah's prophecy, God came in the flesh to live out that character, to show us who God is. To, to represent God to us directly, the promised rescuer, living out those attributes of God that are on the screen. And so, as we get to know the heart of Jesus, as we've asked God these weeks to, to help us give insight into who Jesus is at the core, what's he all about? What do you, each of you, no matter how long you've journeyed with Jesus or whether you're not yet journeying with Jesus, what do we need to know about what is core to Jesus, who he is? What comes out of him most naturally? And we've seen that it is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And in Isaiah 55 today, we saw that as we get to know the heart of Jesus, Faith Church family, as you get to know the heart of Jesus, Jesus says to you, I will have compassion. I will abundantly pardon, abundantly forgive. 
and make it right, make, it, make things right between you and I. Jesus says, come to the waters. You who are thirsty, it's not a problem, it's an opportunity. You who are thirsty because you've never walked with Jesus, come to the living water that is only found in Jesus. You that have already begun walking and following, walking with and following Jesus, come to the waters. Seek him and find life. Father in heaven, you are so great and vast and beyond and other. Father, you are incomprehensible. And God, I pray that as humans, I think we might stumble on that word sometimes. I think we might think, oh, God is incomprehensible, and that is somehow a problem because i got to get my head around this. i got to understand. I need to know what the deal is. God, I pray that instead, your incomprehensibility would be glorious to us. I pray that your incomprehensible would actually be a comfort to our hearts that we cannot fully know or understand your greatness, the mystery of your ways, how other you are, how you respond so differently than we expect, how you respond and love and demonstrate compassion so differently than we would. God, may your incomprehensibility be a marvel to us. Would your incomprehensibility be... um, something that keeps us in awe of you and in thankfulness for the way you work. God, we thank you that your ways are higher than ours, that you respond differently than we would. Help us to wrestle with that. Help us to understand that. And we thank you, God, for sending your son to live out your goodness to us, to live out your your marvelous character so that we might see. We thank you for sending your son to live and die and be raised again so that we too can have life. Thank you that through Jesus we receive the invitation to come, to turn from our own sinful rebellion and find compassion and abundant pardon, abundant forgiveness. Father, thank you that through Jesus we find an invitation to come and drink of the living water that springs up to eternal life. Father, may we marvel at your incomprehensibility this morning. May we marvel at your glory and at what we've learned recently, that your glory is your goodness. Would you adjust our perspective? Would you adjust the way we think you are? Would you adjust and take away our expectations that we falsely have put on you? And would you instead show us your glory, your goodness? We worship you now out of thankfulness for all you've done, your great love for us through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.